Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Dr. Ravi Iyer, MD, welcome to It's TechTastic. It's lovely to have you. I'm so excited. Thank you, Mr. Hammer. It's a pleasure to be here. You have a diverse background across a great many things. You're a specialist in a few, and uh, mindfulness is the topic that we really wanted to go over on this episode. There's a lot of changes happening in the workplace. There's a lot of things that are happening with things like AI and all of that. And we often forget to be effective, especially as knowledge workers and as technologists, it's important to take care of yourself. And I think of mindfulness as taking care of the instrument that uh, allows me to make a living. And, uh, you know, it's the thing that I add value into the world, right? And it's taking care of that instrument. Yeah. First, uh, non or the starting point for mental stability and mental balance is perspective. So I know AI is uh, taken the world by storm. Uh, even physicians are concerned whether ChatGPT is going to replace them. So I'm familiar with it. But I think the perspective that is helpful at this point is for us to think back to the time when the printing press first came out. Before the Gothenburg printing press that was first made, knowledge was the preserve of just a few people. It was handed down by word of mouth through long periods of apprenticeship. So somebody wanting to acquire skill had to go to a master and he had to serve him almost in servitude for five, 10 years, and then acquire that precious knowledge to himself and then become a master himself and perpetuate the serfdom that he endured. (laughs) So when the printing press came out, it democratized the dissemination of knowledge. Suddenly, The keys to knowledge was the ability to read, comprehend, and write. So then suddenly it was no longer the people who wanted to control knowledge and retain power, controlled the educational process by which knowledge could be comprehended and read or written. And in this way, the academic towers moved from silos of masters and apprentices to collections of masters and apprentices teaching the written word and so on and so forth. Then from there, it evolved one step further. So what people started calling the language machine, a simple elementary typewriter started. And that facilitated the speed with which manuscripts would actually get typewritten and put on paper. And that again produced a shift. And the shift was in consciousness. The shift was in public dialogue, in conversation. And then if you go again from there, the next step was the elementary word processor that now began to elevate from a typewriter to actually a memory of storage where phrases could be stored, cut and pasted between documents. So you can see how today's AI has the roots and of this tree that has now flowered into this latest manifestation of AI. So before people get petrified about this, 
<laughs> if you notice how you actually manage from the time of the master apprentice to the printed word to the typewritten word to the personal computer and then onwards all the way to today you can suddenly get a sense of balance see the biggest thing about mindset is people tend to look at the world as concrete objects that they either interact with through their five senses but you don't realize that the five senses while it interacts with the physical world much of what you actually are living in your experience is a product of your inner creation it is not a process of what you apprehend through your senses it is actually a process through what you create from within the biggest problem that one of the things uh, that we had to deal with in our clinic in pandemic was this us versus them mentality that was driving people crazy during the pandemic and that is coming right out of what i call the not enough mindset where we think that the resources in our life are physical objects that if we don't grab it and keep it to ourselves somehow it will go away somebody else will take it somebody else will snatch it away or it will decay or it will somehow no longer be available to us and in this us versus them no matter what you do no matter how good you are you can be elon musk you can be bill gates you still as long as you are operating on this us versus them mentality you are operating at a fraction of your potential the real successful people they don't look at their resources in their life as physical objects rather they look at the things that they need in their life as relationships with themselves they look at their relationship to all of that so they move from just collecting resources to becoming resourceful when you become resourceful you automatically become full of resources you see a resourceful person uses the world and he uses life and its experiences and manipulates it into the narrative that he wants in his life he doesn't live life as a narrative he lives life as an experience out of which he creates a narrative i'll give you an example something my, my grandfather said when i was 14 years old i had a big crisis in my life overnight some of my best friends moved out to a different city because their dads got jobs there they relocated i lost my best friends the new teacher came into school and she hated me and you know life was miserable and you know how when you're 14 life is either mount everest or it's the abyss yeah so i was miserable and in the midst of all of this my grandfather was and after dinner he said okay i'm going for my after dinner walk ravi you want to come and give me company and i said okay uh, you know he and i were good buddies we would walk so he walked for a distance and then he said what's bothering you so this is nothing nothing so no 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 i know you you've been extremely quiet during dinner something's bothering you tell me what's going on so then i told him all the story all the, you know a big lament uh, a long litany of complaints about life in general and he calmly listened to it and then when i finished he said you finished so yeah i want you to do me something do me a favor look at those stars up there and the stars were bright it's india it's black tropical night stars are bright so look at those stars this is i want you to tell all your complaints to the stars just like the way you told it to me loudly like speak to the stars and you tell it to them 
I looked at my grandfather. I thought in my mind that he was losing it, but you know, like I, <laughs> I respected him, and you know, I loved him, and so I started initially. I was hesitantly starting to speak to the stars, and then I got more confident, and and in a full blown litany of my complaints to the stars, and I finish it, and then I stop, and then I look at him. Okay, now what? <laughs> you know, he says, I want you to look at those stars and tell me if this what they are doing with your complaints. What are they going to do? They don't want to do anything. Nobody cares. The whole world doesn't care. The universe doesn't care. Do you realize now the benign indifference with which the universe considers your problems? <laughs> I looked at him. I was shocked. You know, he was stunned. You know, he just jolted me out of my self-pity. And then he says, "This is the most important thing." He says, "Ravi, when the sun shines and when the rain falls." The sun is not shining to make the trees grow or the fruit ripen or the flowers bloom, and it is not shining to cause drought, famine. When the rain falls, it is not falling to water the grass. Neither is it falling to cause floods, death, and devastation. All that the sun is doing is shining. All that the rain is doing is falling. It is we who make a story out of it. And then. He says, "When it is you who make the story, why do you make miserable stories?" <laughs> wow! But what my grandfather did, he separated the one aspect of consciousness, which is like water has flowing and wetness as properties that are inseparable, like fire has heat and light that is inseparable, like that consciousness has experience or awareness. And narrative or story, and you can either reside in the experience and use that experience to create a narrative, or you can let your experience be created by an automated narrative. Too often, we let narratives spontaneously rise within us through past impressions, past insecurities, and past. Favorable as well as unfavorable experiences, and these narratives automatically dominate how we actually shape our reality. Our reality is there for us, and if you stand in the experience, if you stand in ChatGPT's experience, you will realize that this is the most awesome tool that you can use. Yeah. But if you look at ChatGPT. As a narrative about how senior management is going to eliminate your job, you know what you could do. If I was on that position, that I was fearful that senior management would eliminate my job by ChatGPT, I would quit. Use ChatGPT to eliminate that company itself. That's what I would do. Yeah. So people don't realize that life is constantly giving you opportunities for narratives. There's so much that you said there that was just fantastic, and I was putting it into my own life experiences. Those moments when you have that changing that internal narrative, and I'll give you an example. I had pretty severe stage fright. You know, I get invited to go speak in front of conferences. There's a thousand people sitting there that are going to listen to me, and wow, I wasn't comfortable with that. But I got a, a Apple Watch, and I was sitting in the chair waiting to go up on stage, and I was taking deep breaths, getting myself comfortable, which I wasn't going to be. And I looked down at my heart rate, and my heart rate was elevated. But it was almost exactly the same as when I had just gone bungee jumping a week earlier, when I stood up on the edge of the bridge, and that was the internal click where I went, "Wait a second, well, I'm not afraid of this. I'm excited 
There's this amazing experience I'm just about to have and I know it. And from that point on, I love going on stage and talking and giving yeah. presentations, right? Yes. So the experience was heart rate of 110. And then you gave the meaning on one side, when the heart rate of 110 was standing at the edge of a cliff with a bungee rope around your waist, then it is excitement. Here, it is terror. But regardless, heart rate of 110 is all that your heart knows and your body knows. If you stand in that experience, suddenly the narrative can shift. And most people don't realize that. They are so used to reacting to a narrative rather than through experience. I'll give you one other example. Imagine a newlywed couple. All right, they got married. They're now gone off to Bora Bora on their honeymoon. When the bride is being embraced by her spouse, in that moment, is she in the experience of the embrace or is she in the narrative of the embrace? Mm, well, she's in the experience of the embrace, the physical action. Exactly. Yeah. The more intense the experience, the more the narrative aspect of your head shuts off. Mm. Which is why people do bungee jumping. <laughs> because during that period, you are 100% in experience, not in narrative. Narrative is always a past-based activity. It's an analytical activity. It's a survival mechanism that our brains have so that it can do pattern recognition of scenarios and produce a faster response to a life-threatening situation. That is all. It is an atavistic survival response from when we had to hunt as well as avoid being hunted by Tyrannosaurus Rex. That was... <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So we needed a narrative for the scenario where we had a near miss encounter with Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah. And that near miss, when the earth shakes like this, and when there is a few rustle in the trees, get what? Run. Don't wait to actually see the terror. That narrative kicks in. You can't wait to be in the experience of being face-to-face -face Tyrannosaurus Rex because you will not have anything after that moment. So that is why we had the narrative part of our brain. The problem is we never knew how to shut it off. Mm. This is one of the reasons why children are always so full of joy because they have not yet built that library of narratives. Children look at a stick on the ground and they feel as if they've found something wonderful. And on the other hand, you have someone like Robin Williams or Anthony Bourdain, who after a lifetime of accomplishment, all they could do was seek an exit out of that life. Yeah. Both cases, narratives. Yeah, they could have had such a positive narrative to go with it because they had such an amazing experience from anybody else's view. And believe me, I love both of them. Yeah. It's a tragedy in my life, but I'm using that as an example. No, it's a fantastic example for that reason, though, because they were so, to any outside observer, the narrative we would put on them is successful and amazing. And, you know, Robin Williams was bringing joy to other people's lives, but his internal dialogue, that internal narrative was yes, different. So now, this kind of thing happens in entrepreneurs too. And we have a word for it. We call it the imposter syndrome and this and that. But it's, <laughs> a, it's another cliche word. The bottom line is this. People forget how to be in touch with experience and experience without a narrative. 
I give examples in my life. I get patients who are trying to reconnect. Like husband and wife have been busy with life. It's not that they're estranged, but now uh, they have an opportunity. They have achieved whatever they want to achieve, and now they want to reconnect and they want to have babies and whatever. And then they find that it's not happening. They're not getting pregnant. I sit and talk to them about this whole business of narrative. I, I tell them that your narrative about your husband or your narrative about your wife is you already know when the eyebrow goes one direction, what they are thinking. You're not being alive to them. We have five senses, but our five senses don't inform us of our reality equally. Two of our senses are what we call distance apprehension senses sight and hearing these two senses we use and they dominate the way we perceive our world through these two senses primarily because it is safe we can assess the world around us again atavistic response we can assess the world around us with our vision and our hearing long before coming in physical contact through taste smell and touch so we tend to use eyesight and hearing more often in arriving at our decision making about the world around us. Same with couples relationships. The one thing in a new relationship is everything is new. Everything is wonderful. Everything is a surprise. The surprise goes away when you have already have a library of prior experiences with that person. Mm -hmm. So one way to recreate surprise is to deprive yourself of one or more senses. Hmm. Blindfold, put earplugs yeah. and try to experience each other's presence. And the next time you're intimate without the benefit of these two senses, suddenly the world becomes different. You have a new world. Take a mug. You look at the mug. It looks one way. Close your eyes and feel it. Do you see the same mug with your fingers? Your fingers see a different mug. World suddenly changed. So think yeah. about think about it. How many worlds are there in this universe? As many worlds as there are senses. You think you occupy the same world as a bumblebee? You don't. An earthworm occupies a different world than you do. It sees world differently. The idea that um, if I was put here by something that has a higher order purpose for me, you know, like a God or something that is outside my experience, just as the worms experience is outside of my experience. They're not the same universe. We exist in different places. And so the worm would never ask Christian why it was here. It would exist and it would find its own purpose, whatever that was. So we have to do the same. And then conversely, the experience of everything else in this universe, living its life and doing its thing, is no less meaningful either. It's your grandfather's point about the rain falls, it does things because it is what it is. That doesn't diminish it. It doesn't take it and say that the sun's less important because it's not causing drought and famine and all that. It's just doing what it does. It has properties. That doesn't take away from the sun. No, it doesn't add, it doesn't subtract at all. It is just what it is. And once you realize that your life is just what it is, then it frees you. There's an enormous lightness of being and you can live it. I really enjoyed this. I really appreciate you coming on. This was a great conversation. I also want to direct people towards your website. Yeah, people who want to follow me. My life is all about healthcare, about human potential and human consciousness and how it matters in the realm of leading a fulfilled life. I write books, 
the most recent book is the our experience in the pandemic but again it is about human potential and human consciousness as we navigated threats to our life you can follow me on my website it's uh, www.driyer.com dr ravi ayer thank you so much for being on it was a pleasure having you here thank you And that's a wrap for this episode of Techtastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.